Welcome to today's episode of the Group Therapy Podcast. Today we have returning guest Donald Farmer. And Donald's going to be talking to us about his new movie uh, along with the co-director. And uh, the new movie is None Dead. None Dead. Uh, Curtis, uh, tell us about yourself because you've not been on the show before. Tell us what you're... What, what, what you've got going on? Well, um, I'm a filmmaker. I'm in central Mississippi, so I live around uh, Jackson, and I live in a small country town called Pelahatchee. I've been making films. Next year, it'll be about 20 years I've been making films, and we try to do a lot of different uh, types of films and different varieties. Um, so this past weekend, I did a film in Ocean Springs, and it was called Mr. Darcy. So it's actually kind of a step away from the horror genre. I actually made Mr. Darcy as a present for my wife. And uh, it's an update of Pride and Prejudice, which um, a lot of people like. So we uh, did something really different uh, this past weekend. But a lot of the films that I make are horror thriller. We have um, some films that are on Amazon Prime. We have some films that are on Tubi. But uh, I met Donald through Elaine. And Elaine's always telling me about these fun um anthology projects and so i participated in cat nato i uh did my own segment and helped a couple other people do their segments for uh, donald's movie cat nato and then also um none dead and then uh there's another project coming up um which i'm developing in segment four which is also one of those anthology films should be a lot of fun so cool yeah then on top of that curtis uh directed the opening flashback scenes for shark exorcist 2 which will be coming out uh, either toward the end of this year or early next year. Yeah, yeah, that was that was fun. Got to go to New Orleans and uh, film with Christy, so uh, I enjoyed doing that. Yeah, it's always fun having an excuse to run around New Orleans. Uh, it's gonna be hard. I, I love New Orleans. I, it, just any excuse to go back. And <laughs> yeah. So, so how, how did you guys get together with this? How, was it? Um, could you just kind of, you know, a little bit into it? Did, did you guys meet and then work together or was you brought in and then worked together? I'd say Elaine put us together. Uh, you know, Elaine, you know, she's a great networking person. Um, you know, and so she, she's all, throughout the years, she's connected me with a lot of different people. And it's uh, really cool to have met Donald through Elaine. Um, you know, we uh, Donald and I have yet to meet in person. It's a it's a distance thing because I believe he's uh, in the what Northeast Tennessee or something like that. Uh, I'm smack in the middle. Smack in the middle. Smack in the middle. I got you. But there there's a little bit of um, you know there's a couple hours between us. But I'd love to uh, meet Donald in person one day. But uh, you know, it's been one of those things where we've been able to work remotely and uh, work on the same project from afar. So I've enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, it I'm not going to lie. I, I had every intention of finally getting to meet Don this last weekend at Bride of FrankenCon. And then I realized I was double booked for conventions. So yeah, there was like two other at least conventions that same weekend. Yeah, and I'm I'm up there in Ohio. I was set up as a as a vendor at that one, so it was like, oh, okay, I can either spend money or make money. Was and, that Wonderfest? Uh, no, it's I'm up here in Ohio. It's a it's a Jim and Dan Comic Con. It was um, just a one day show. I've done I don't know. They've been doing them for God ten years at least, and I've missed two. 
Mm-hmm. One because I was sick, and one there was a death in the family. That's the only reason I've ever missed any of them. So, and uh, I hate to say this, I, I like money. So when it came down to either I could spend money or make money, making money won out over spending money. <laughs> I understand that. Yeah. So, um, tell us about None Dead. Well, None Dead is uh, an anthology film where there's several directors, including Curtis. And also including Bobby Kinnep uh, Jr., who directed Morgan's segment. Because Morgan is one of the standout segments where she plays one of the most unforgettable characters in Nundead. She's the Sister ultimate. Katharina. Yeah, you're the ultimate zombie nun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so there are several directors Curtis, Bobby, and a few more. Uh, Robbie Lopez, who directed the uh, segment where bikers meet zombie nuns. And uh, then I directed the wraparound segment that introduces all the stories where I have an evil nun introducing each story from this graveyard that she prowls around. And so that was what I did from a director standpoint. And then I produced the whole thing and uh, organized it and supervised all the post-production. And uh, me and Tim Ritter put it together. We did all the editing. I did the uh, first rough edit and then Tim Ritter did the final edit. And then we delivered it to our distributor, SRS uh, Cinema, and they're going to have it. They're taking pre-orders now. They'll be shipping it in August to customers. Nice. Wow. When you order our Nundead Blu-ray, you get a free Nundead poster. So anybody who wants to check out Nundead, all they have to do is go to srscinema.com and type in Nundead, N-U-N-D-E-A-D, in the search window, and it'll pop you right up to our order page. So which came first, the title Nun Dead or the concept of the of the nuns? Well, the title came first because I'm a huge fan of uh, scary nun movies and perverted nun movies and anything with an out-of-the-ordinary nun. Uh, I mean, one of my all-time favorite movies is Ken Russell's The Devils from 1971 yep. about a convent full of completely psychotic, batshit nuns. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, but there's several movies in this genre. Anita Ekberg made one called Killer Nun. And then there's just several more, too many nun movies to count. In fact, there's so many scary, creepy nun movies that uh, Severin Video, which is one of the leading video labels, they put out a lot of great stuff. They just released a box set full of, I think, four different creepy nun movies in a box oh, wow. set. So if you're really into this nun genre, after you buy your copy of Nun Dead, you can go over to uh, Severn Films and order their nun box set. <laughs> oh, wow. We were just talking before before we started this. I said, like, yeah, I was like, I was telling him about, I was talking to a guy at the shop about Nun Dead. And he goes, he goes, I just watched a, a nun movie, like a like an exploitation grindhouse movie. I was like, was it none of that? Or was it uh, Nuns with Guns? And he's like, there's more than one? I was like, there's a lot of them. <laughs> like, yeah. And my last several movies have all had a nun in them. I just, I mean, Nun Dead is not my first rodeo with nuns. I mean, and. <laughs> In Bigfoot Exorcist, I have a nun exorcist. And in Shark Exorcist 2, I have an evil nun who causes all the trouble and causes the shark to be demonically possessed. And then <laughs> in the new movie, Debbie Does Demons, I have a witch finder with two nun helpers who torment poor Jessa Flux and <laughs> uh, execute her for her witchcraft. 
So that's three movies in a row I did with nuns in them, bad nuns. Well, Bigfoot, Bigfoot Exorcist was a good nun, and then the last two were bad nuns. So it just made logical sense that I should just do an all-out nun movie. Yeah. That, that works. The one thing I always thought that, that a nun movie should have is a nun with a ruler nunchuck. So it would be a nunchuck ruler <laughs> Oh my God! Uh, oh, Sydney's flapper. That's right. Ha ha ha! So funny. So, so how much? How much um, freedom did each of the directors get while making their segments? Well, total freedom. I told each director there's only one rule to follow. Every story has to feature one or more creepy eerie nuns that could be zombie nuns ghost nuns bad nuns perverted nuns just every story has to have a a nun that's seriously deranged or seriously evil something like that i don't want any stories about singing nuns i don't want stories about mother Teresa type nuns i want stories about bad to the bone nuns and as long as you follow that one rule you have complete freedom and when people watch the Nundead Blu-ray, they're going to see a tremendous variety from story to story. People had very, you know, different and unique takes. Some of our filmmakers just went way out on a ledge and are going to surprise you with how unique their segments are. I'm really sad that um, Intinction wasn't a musical. Yes. Well, I, while yeah. the nuns in, in your segment are munching down, if they could burst into song, I would be there. I would be there. I would, I would, I highly, you know what, Bobby, when you watch this, we need to run it back and make it a musical. <laughs> we do. That's, that's been done before, you know, there was a famous fantasy horror movie in the 60s, and they released it, it was called Jack the Giant Killer, and when it didn't do enough money the first time around, they brought it back to the studio and added songs and turned it <laughs> into a musical, and they put it back in theaters as a musical, it, so it's been done before successfully, so you could do it. Oh yeah, I think that I think that all of the sisters need to be singing while they cannibalize, mm -hmm. singing and dancing with the entrails. Uh. Uh -huh. See, yeah, they should be singing something like "Keep Your Sunny Side Up" or something happy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my god! Well, they should yes. see. They could be singing that old Shirley Temple standard. You've got to S M I L E to be <laughs> a, a double P Y. <laughs> <laughs> That would be perfect. Um, they should be singing a happy, upbeat song. They're happy nuns while they're eating people. Yeah, everyone should be in a good mood. Everyone's having a snack. <laughs> I mean, they're having a big banquet. What else? Yeah. That's great news for those cannibal nuns. Absolutely. We're finally getting food. So, mm -hmm. wait a minute. Okay, hold on. Are they undead nuns? Or are they living nuns that become cannibals? They look undead and cannibal to me. They look like a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 a bit it's a bit of a mix of both. I think. Um, I think in the beginning they start out as cannibals, but then they meet a very cruel and untimely demise. Yeah, the the evil oh. virtues, the the evil nature of the nun varies from story to story. In Bobby's segment yeah. that Morgan stars in, they're sort of like zombie cannibals, yeah. and they're also sort of zombie cannibals in Robbie's segment. Uh, but then in uh, Nikki's segment, they're just perverted and evil. And I love that. Just, they're very twisted nuns, very twisted and sexually perverted. 
Oh, and then yeah. in, in Curtis's story, they're just wacky shit out of their mind. You don't know what's <laughs> wrong with them. <laughs> so it varies from story to story. We give you a good mix of none, evil, and depravity. So, so Curtis is just making a documentary about regular old nuns then, right? <laughs> uh, well, um, I, I will say the one rule Donald gave us, though, is I was headed to set and I got a text message. I think it was from Elaine and it said, Donald does not want you to use a white faced nun. So if you're going to do a zombie undead nun, go get some steak sauce. And like, that's the color of nun that Donald wants. So, you know, I had the makeup lady with me. Thank God, you know, she was acting in it, but she was also helping do makeup. And so um, whenever we did the um, undead zombie look, you know, instead of using kind of the white face nun that's traditionally the horror movie nun, we uh, were mixing steak sauce in there and painting that all over her face. So she's, she, Kimberly, she smelled like uh, steak sauce, you know, once we got all that uh, on her okay. face and everything. See, I, I wanted those nuns to look like they just had a big bloody feast. And now the blood is dried around their mouth, and now right. they look messy as could be. But if there's a nun, if there's a undead zombie priest running around, and he sees that zombie nun with blood and goose dr dried out all over her face, well, he's just going to want to give her a big fat wet kiss. Right, right, right. And when he gets closer and he smells that it's steak sauce, it's going to be even better. I'm, exactly. He's going to start up. He's going to start some serious licking. It's true. Yes, it what is kind of steak sauce. <laughs> We're just got the Walmart brand with clowns, and I don't want people to think we're making a movie about clown nuns. And whenever you see somebody with a white face makeup, you know you start thinking about Stephen King's It and clowns. And I didn't know that. <laughs> so, so, so what we're saying is, is that that the next movie will be Amityville undead hey, clown nuns from hell or something. Well, it'll be Amityville aliens, aliens, but people will have a lot of latitude within that. That's, uh, I just found out, was it like a couple weeks ago that Amityville is now the largest franchise movie ever? Because I think there's like 36 movies or something in it. Well, yeah, I keep that's, that's my next anthology movie. And uh, we got, we're inviting different directors to do a segment for Amityville Aliens. I think Morgan should be a director and direct a segment for it. I'd like to see Morgan direct something. Really? Why? Do you think I'd be good at it? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you have, you're interested in horror comics and horror movies, and you've got a killer fashion sense. I think you have the sensibility and the artistic taste that you could make a segment really in interesting. Okay, well, I'll have to. I'll give it a thought, and I'll I'll write a little something up. What Amityville Aliens? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the okay. rule is it can be anything about one or more aliens, and you just have to say that it's in Amityville, but it can really be filmed anywhere. All you have to do is say you're in Amityville. Okay, one or more aliens, and say you're in Amityville. Got it. I mean, I have a friend that lives just like 15 minutes from Amityville, and I keep nagging her to go to Amity, go to the Amityville house and take photos for me. Yeah. I can't get her to. Do it. She well, won't do it. I keep saying, "Go to that Amityville house. I want photos." And she, you know, I can't I get that girl off her ass to do it. Well, didn't they just remodel it so it doesn't even look like the Amityville house? Anymore? I know it doesn't even look. And I, I've seen what it looks like now because if you go to Google Earth and Google Street View, you can go look at it from the Google camera and see what it looks like. Yeah, it's sad. They took away the Amityville eyes. But yeah. still, also the big shocking thing when you look at it on Google Earth or Google Street View is that 
on the movies, it looks like it's on a big yard, a big uh, lot with a lot of yard on both sides and no nearby houses. But when you look at it on Google Street View, you see that it's really crammed up against a house on each side of it. And the Amityville house has a very tiny amount of yard space on each side. And if you open the side window of the Amityville house, you'd probably be 10 feet from the window of the house next door to you. I wow. mean, it's, it's depressing how close how squeezed in the Amityville house is to the houses on either side of it. It doesn't look like that in the movies. Wow. Yeah, no, it doesn't at all. It looks like it's out. Like it's, it's, it's very spacious. Like the yard. Oh, yeah. Like so when all that stuff on was bit. supposedly uh, going on in the Amityville house with that family that claimed that all the ghosts were attacking them, if that family was screaming their head off, I'm sure that the people that lived on either side of them could hear yeah. every scream. Yeah, but then again, most people kind of, I mean, if I heard screams, I'd probably just keep to myself. I'd be like, shit, don't bring that over here, whatever it is. I don't want it. <laughs> That's my problem. My dogs would just be freaking out. and be like, ah, damn it. You got my dogs barking. Ah. <laughs> Can you please die a little quieter? My dogs are freaking out, man. Although, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I don't get along real well with my neighbors. So if, like, their houses were haunted and stuff like that, I'd be like, good for them. <laughs> good uh, for you guys i hope it stays yeah. for life. there we go i should count my blessings i live in a neighborhood where i've never heard any screams coming from my neighbor's home so let's keep it that way yeah that's nice that's good i live in kind of a not so great neighborhood like i'm ghetto adjacent so i hear like all kinds of things oh. all the time I've, I've lived in some very very shady crappy neighborhoods all in my small town but yeah. I, I, I used to be the one that everybody used to freak out about because um, one time I lived around the corner, like the, the building beside my house was a funeral home. Mm. And I'm sitting there and I walk out one day and I'm talking to the to the funeral guy and and they have this coffin and the, and the lid's broken on it. And they were taking it to the trash. I'm like, what are you guys doing with that? They're like, oh, we're throwing it away. We got our we got the credit for it. So we're just getting rid of them. I'm like, uh I have that. And they're like, sure. So I'm dragging this coffin while my neighbors are watching me. And they're like, what are you doing, Paul? Nothing. And I just stick it in my shed and I close the door. And they're just like, why does he have a coffin? Yeah. <laughs> don't ask questions you don't want to know the answers to, guys. Leave it alone. And then like yeah. two or three weeks later, I end up with the crate that a coffin comes in. So wow. like, And I go dragging that back. And they're like, what's that, Paul? It's like, it's a coffin box. What's, what's uh, well, don't like, put me in a coffin. I want to be cremated. That's it right there. Me too. <laughs> I want to be turned into a tree pod. I um, I told my wife, I have those big Shogun Warriors, those like two-foot-tall robots. I told my dad I wanted him to make me a metal one that you can unscrew the head and fill my ashes and you can screw the head back on so my ashes will be in a giant robot sitting on the shelf. Can it be animated so that way, like, it randomly turns on sometimes and freaks out the relatives? Oh, man, I would put lights in it so that when, like, it, eyes Red are light up. <laughs> that would be or just launches a missile for no apparent reason. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Add, that, why not? The trauma will, it's good for the character. It'll help them grow. <laughs> Uh, I think that's a plan. Yeah, because it's it's. I I love my big robots, and and I I probably could do my uh at my Star Wars at at that might be better to make out of metal. Thinking, so can, put it all in there. Put my ashes in there. You should Although do a Gundam robot. I, I to be honest, it was 
going to be uh, probably Mazinger Z or um, Getter Robo. So those are my two favorites. But Gundam's next right up there. Yeah, and Big O's nice too. Don't forget that one. Because well, you don't just make Crackoon. Maybe in the future there could be Crackoon versus Mega Robo. Oh my god! And it's just a robot filled with your ashes. There we go. Yeah, th see, there, there's the next movie. I die. You put my ashes in a robot. That robot comes to life and has to fight the Crackoon. I love that. I absolutely. Someone get Brad Twig in the Zoom call right now. Get him in yeah, here. I mean, I mean, Brad Pitt has got to make a sequel. That's all there is to it. He has to make a sequel. Oh yeah. Well, Brad, Brad's working on. Um, we're hoping we can get to do. I think it's uh, Crackodile is is what he's wanting to do the next sequel as. And I'm I'm praying to God. Oh my God. Alan Carnes is already on board. He wants to maybe do the little puppets for it. So I just, why not get ate out by a a, a, a crocodile as well as a rat? Honestly, all on Grub's ideas. I want to do one called Crack Hen, and uh, that way we can sample like Liam Neeson's voice saying, "Release the Kraken." You know, so I think that would be yes. Pretty I did That'd just see the trailer good. for Cocaine Sharks earlier today, and that's just batshit crazy. <laughs> yeah. These are wild, man. I love every single one of them. I hope it becomes like a box set type deal, because there's too many to keep up with at this point. The fact that uh, no one's jumped on some sort of pig or hog, because they'll eat anything while they're not that would be violent yes. that would be a brutal violent movie and terrifying actually well, one of my favorite movies of all time is razorback the giant uh big oh, yeah. I, remember, I remember that and the, the yeah. fact is that, that movie's still not available in the united states really it, oh wow it's it's a uh, um my copy that i got is uh import um, and I don't know what's going on with that because I keep hearing it's finally coming out and it doesn't. And so I don't know, because I know it's Russell McCauley. So that's the guy that directed um, Islander. Highlander. Yeah. So it's got yeah, this really I, I good was, pedigree. Uh, I was actually hired to be in a Russell McCauley uh, episode of the Teen Wolf show that he directs. And uh, so I show up to work. I'm supposed to play a high school teacher at the school where the Teen Wolf goes. And Russell's crawling all around the set, you know, setting up shots he's going to direct. And my scene is supposed to take place on the back staircase of the high school. And then uh, right about an hour before I'm due to go on camera, uh, the rain starts raining just like all hell. Uh, you know, it's just pouring down as hard as you imagine. And the rain won't stop. It just keeps on going and going. And finally, they tell me, we're sorry, Donald. We're going to have to scrap your scene. It won't stop raining. So my chance to be in a Russell, McC have Russell McKinney directed me just was totally ruined by the rainstorm. so sad. Can you guys write me in in another one? What I'd the fuck? I'd be like, fuck? can I just walk down the hallway? Can I just do yeah. like a character? Gosh. Yeah. Now I have another one of my friends, that uh, my friend Andrea, that was in my movie Chainsaw Cheerleaders. She uh, got to be not only in an episode of Teen Wolf, she got to be the main guest star of an episode, and she had a shitload of dialogue, and she was in the episode all the way through, so... You know, my hat's off to Andrea. She really scored. That is so cool. And then after that, Clint Bless Eastwood you. hired Andrea, and Clint Eastwood put her in his movie Richard Jewell and gave her a co-starring speaking role. Nice. Wow. So Andrea, Andrea from my wow. movie Chainsaw Cheerleaders, her that girl's career is on fire. <laughs> Good for her. Holy shit! See, see, everybody works with Don 
And then they get they he just he's like, here, I'm gonna show you this ladder and you guys just climb it to the top. Yeah, when Matt my yeah, movie Cannibal Hookers, the first one, he went straight from my Cannibal Hookers was his very first movie, and he went straight from Cannibal Hookers to Nightmare on Elm Street Five, co starring speaking role. I would not know what to do with myself if I got to work next to Robert England simply because yeah, that's so. so witty. We'd be able to keep up. Yeah, that would be that would be mind bending to to work with him. Yeah. There yeah, hundred percent. Although although it's funny because I would I would definitely take something from to get signed because I'd be that guy. But I wouldn't be Freddy Krueger. It'd be Willie from V. So I'd bring some V in this thing. Of course my my friend Melissa Moore, who starred in four movies for me, like Scream Dream and Vampire Cop. She got the next best thing to Robert England. She got a co-starring role in a Linda Blair movie. Oh, that would be awesome. Wow. I mean, so I would probably still take Robert over Linda. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, it's, a clo- it's a close call, but you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. rather I would rather Robert over Linda any day. I've seen The Exorcist probably a handful of times. I own the entire um, Nightmare on Elm Street box set on VHS, and I own them all on DVD. I own original Scream, Claw. I'm a little <laughs> bit more of a fan of those movies. Oh, yeah. Three, so you, you, even, you go all the way through from the first one through a Freddy versus Jason? I do. I do. I like Freddy versus Jason actually quite a bit, and I don't understand why people don't like that movie because I love it. I think it's really. Well, I think good. I think it's I think the first one and Freddy versus Jason are the two best. Yeah, honestly, I really quite enjoy. I liked um, I liked Catherine Isabel's character a lot, and I also really liked Kelly Rowland's character. She was really really. I love sad- Kelly Rowland in that. Kelly yeah. Rowland was incredible. She really was. And I, I didn't even know that she was like an actress at, at that point in time when I saw her in the movie, you know, because they kind of like cram random people into movie roles and they're not really actors like Trey Songs and that Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. It's like you can tell that they're uncomfortable and they've never done it before and they're just there because they have star power. But she fucking delivered. Holy oh, she fit, she fit right in. Oh, she was God. perfect. And I'm not gonna lie. The fact that they got away with the uh, uh, sort of pseudo racist Freddy in that, I was like, I liked it. I thought he was like, oh sweet, dark meat. Like, oh, yeah. he goes all around. Freddy's universal. Freddy likes it all. Freddy is Freddy's about everything. No I'm discrimination. Like, that, that's one of the best things about Texas Chainsaw Massacre Three. That makes me laugh every time. When I'm like sort of going, oh, that's offensive, but I shouldn't be laughing, but I'm laughing anyways. Yeah. Lately, I've been watching other Robert England movies besides the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, because I I just like watching any movie with Robert England. And uh, I just watched this incredible movie with Robert England and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Have you seen that one called Stay Hungry? I've not seen that. No. If you love Robert England, you got to see that movie. That's a really good one. And I also love Arnold, so you had me at both of them together. I mean, it's this incredible cast. It's Robert England, Schwarzenegger, Sally Field, and Jeff Bridges. Wow. wow. Oh, my God. And Jeff Bridges? Wow. Yeah, and it's called Stay Hungry. Stay Hungry. I love Jeff Bridges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was on the set of uh, Starman, and I got to watch him uh, work all day long. That was a real treat. 
Oh my gosh, I would have been, he probably would have thought I was a creep because I would have been just staring, <laughs> absorbing everything in. Oh. Yeah, crazy thing was the vast majority of the day I spent, I saw him spend hours shooting this elaborate dance scene that never made it into the final film and they've never even used it as a Blu-ray extra. So I got him watching, oh. the scene I watched him film was an incredible scene where he's the alien, he goes into a nightclub and sees all these earth people dancing and then he decides he's going to try to dance like an earth man but he's an alien so he dances all crazy and robot like so it was just an incredible scene and they didn't put it in the movie wow yeah. all that worked for nothing damn man not even a special feature no i mean i thought for sure they'd use it as a special feature because i mean they filmed the whole scene i, I was standing right there off a of camera watching them film the whole thing sometimes that happens heck you know I, I was a big fan of Nightbreed, and it took up until, well, relatively recently before anybody found any of the deleted scenes from that. God, so, I love Nightbreed. That is, a, that is a gem. That is such a gem. Yeah. The, uh, one time, the, the very first time I went to London, I went to this uh, video store off New Oxford Street. It was supposed to be the ultimate horror video store in London, and they had a special exhibit in that store of props from Nightbreed. And you could see this huge display they had of actual costumes and props from Nightbreed. I just wanted to load up everything and take it home with me. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, I, thinking of that, though, I do have a question to ask both both the director and, and Morgan. Have you laid claim to any props from any movies you've worked on? Yes. Yes? Um, <laughs> not yet, no. Um, but it's mostly because I'm nice and I let directors sell the stuff that I use, um, on Indiegogo's. So I kind of don't have anything yet. I was going to keep Sheriff Callahan's costume, but then someone bought it and I got to write, enjoy your scratch and sniff in the shorts. So like, it's kind of a win-win with that. Yeah. And usually when I have a prop in my movie, since I'm usually producing or co-producing my movies, it's usually because I bought the prop myself and <laughs> so I'm trying to get my money's worth out of it. Yeah. So if I have a really good prop, I'll use it in more than one movie. Well, I acted in this movie called Restless Kingdom at the end of last year, and I got to wear this uh, friar robe, but it was about, um, I don't know, a size too small. And so anytime I would run in it, I'd be waddling like a penguin as fast as I could. But anyway... Uh, the director, I, w I said, you know, this is a really nice costume. He said, oh, you can have it. So, you know, I have this random friar robes. I'm just going to start uh, putting it in different projects, you know, just have a friar doing this, a friar doing that, you know. Yeah. So. Should, you should. The background. Just yeah. Always, it's always there. It's always there. Always. Like, like you it's go a nice costume. It's a nice costume. I don't want to throw it away. Like I, some of them I'll donate or i'll give to some give away you know but you know that one i want to keep you know that that but i yeah. wore it you know for the role really it enjoyed it your little easter egg your little calling card and all yeah. your movies you know just have one right in the background of every, right. every got your character's yeah, gotta get in the closet you passing all your clothes there's the fire costume and <laughs> yep, yep. no there needs to be a person in the costume well, I'm the only one that wears it yeah. properly. Like I, I told the director, I said, I'm the sex appeal of the movie, you know, wearing this prior <laughs> outfit. Like, you know, you, you just, the ladies are going to swoon when they see, uh, you know, Restless Kingdom, you know, and this you better, uh, you better, 
you better not then you better just save some you better not because because that might be too much what if what if it's too much on set and people start passing out you know it was happening like you know it was happening already like you know and uh you know i had to tell the academy awards don't even worry about nominating me i know like you know this is the best supporting acting role of all time you know so a british accent and everything so What's, what's what's funny is is that um, last summer I got to talk with uh, um, Gary Tunnicliffe and Mike Regan who worked on like the Hellraiser movies. I was like, they they're telling me about all the special things. Like, do you guys have like the best houses at Halloween? And Mike's like, I used to because then everybody got used to it, so I got bored. And I'm like, how do you get bored? Because I mean, he would go. Yeah. He said he'd go out, and I'm like, I would do if I worked on any horror movies and had any of the props. I'd have like the best house at Halloween time. I am. I'm the only house on my street that decorates because um, the 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 road that I live on is like a dead end cul-de-sac kind of, and it's a bunch of like old crotchety white people. So I am the only one that loves that godforsaken holiday. The rest of them are like, "Oh my god, it's the devil! It's the devil's holiday!" Like, I am the favorite house of all the kids because I have all of the creepy cool shit and I've got the good fucking candy. I give out the full-size <laughs> bars. My house is lit. Literally. <laughs> See, I, did, I just take my kids no. trick-or-treating. <laughs> oh, wow. We used to I have a skeleton. So. We used to have a skeleton year-round that we just decorated for the different holidays and we had it hanging on the end of our carport, so we decorate Boris for all the different holidays. But you know, one day my dad came over and he said, "You take that shit down," you know, because it just, you know, he, okay. he was getting tired of me having a uh, skeleton, you know, on the end of my carport. So, he so it was that. any of you heard about the uh, um, the werewolf uh, display that they're that's it's on the news? It's in my little hometown. Um, and it's a friend of mine. That's the worst. They have a big one, a big oversized werewolves out front of their house. And they just didn't take it down after Halloween. So they just left it up. So they keep changing it. So it's got like, right now it's got like a, 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 a flag shirt with a flag. In because the, the city's going after them and making them take it um, down. And there's, now two houses, there's two houses in my town like that. There's one house in my town that has one of those 15 foot tall skeletons in their front yard. And they never took it down after Halloween. I mean, a month ago, it was still there. So I don't know if they're ever going to take it down. What do you do with a 15-foot skeleton after you take it down? I don't even know if that'll fit in a garage. I mean, I mean they should it just... has to break down small because I've seen the box. The box is only about the That's... size of maybe a refrigerator-sized box. Oh, you know. wow. Holy shit. That's they really... fold, yeah, they fold up. Yeah, I have, I have a six-foot-tall werewolf, the animatronic one. And it fit in a box, maybe about three foot by. I'm trying to know if you want to ever, if you ever want to like sell that. I'm not going to sell my OnlyFans or anything. It's don't don't worry about what I'm using it for. He, he's setting up in my shop, and that's how I that's how I deter people from coming that, that want to come in the back, especially little kids. Little kids will come to the back, and they're like, "There's a werewolf in your back room." I'm like, "Yeah, stay away from it." <laughs> oh, I would be the exact opposite. I would be like, "There's a werewolf in your back room. I'm gonna need 15 minutes." The, 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 you know what? The one that freaks people out more than the werewolf is I just have a mannequin that I. Uh, um, now that's you know, fucking weird. 
I have just different costumes on because it used to be that that when I would have uh, events, I would have girls come in and they would I had I had all the costumes on hand. So I have like, you know, Supergirl, Wonder Woman, all that. So occasionally I just put those on the mannequin. So right now she's wearing a Supergirl costume. All right, Elijah Wood. <laughs> I don't skin their head and nail their. their yeah. OK. <laughs> OK. But uh, I'm an Uber driver. So my uh, in, on the front seat of my Uber. I have a dragon mask. I used to have a Chewbacca mask that rode shotgun with me, but now I have a dragon mask to deter people from sitting in the front seat. And so it usually is a pretty good indicator of how drunk somebody is when they're getting into the Uber, because if they try to talk to the dragon or to Chewbacca, you know, they've had a few because some people <laughs> used to get in and they would sit there and, you know, Chewbacca, you know, it's just a, you know, one of those masks and they'd be like, ma'am, how are you doing tonight, ma'am? Ma'am, she's not talking to me, you know. So <laughs> now, now people are usually really scared of uh, the dragon mask on the seat, you know. And I, there's a full-grown man last week that was like, "I don't like that. I don't like that." And his girlfriend's like, "Get your ass in the car." <laughs> you know, the worst part about it is, is I did a hunt for a couple couple years, and you'll find out that guys were the ones that would freak out over everything. Oh my god! And the uh, girls were fine. I had if I had a dollar for every time I got hit by a guy versus a woman in a haunted house, I would have a multiple dollars. Um, it was crazy because oh they would like freak out on me. They would be like, "Don't fucking touch me! I'm gonna whip your ass, man! I'm gonna whip your ass!" And I'm <laughs> low key crazy, so I would be like, "Do it now, then! Come on!" I could and imagine because you're tiny. That would be hilarious. Oh my, and that's the thing, like, I'm so itty bitty, and these guys would, it would always be like, it's always the, like, like the, the, the women being scared of the mouse type deal, you know, they're this, the mouse is this big, and we're so tall, it's like these big guys, like, why are you, why are you scared of me? I'm, I weigh like nothing, I'm like, walk around me! Well, because <laughs> you're a woman, and as a woman, you're scared the shit out of them, period. <laughs> Well, that's unfortunate. They should seek therapy. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. We we were joking around at the shop the other day because we were listening to music and Evil Woman, and uh, um, she's uh, um, a couple other evil songs come up, and I was like, you know, these are just songs just about regular women, right? And they went, what? <laughs> I was like, Evil Woman. She's. Evil. I was like, that's no, just a regular woman. That's just it. Yeah. <laughs> He was just, he was heartbroken. What she did was is he was a butthole and he she left and he was like, Man, fuck you for not taking my bullshit. I'm gonna write a song about you, bitch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that oh. so <laughs> we're way off topic now. Uh <laughs> we really quite we really are. Yeah. That's awesome. See, usually I hate to say this sometimes when my wife is down here and she's the one that will yell at me and like you're off topic! And I'm like, all right, let's get back to <laughs> Back to horror movies. Back to horror movies. So, Curtis, okay, come back to you here. How long have you been in, how long have you been working in film? Uh, next year, it'll have been 20 years, you know, that I've been taking it seriously. Um, I started it in about 2004. So, uh, yeah, we um, have been making movies. I've been making movies quite a while. Um, you know, I started off pretty young probably about seventh grade and uh just keep pursuing the dream and keep getting after it and trying different things and different types of movies um but 
horror thrillers are usually the ones that people want to see. So those are the ones I make the most of. Um, my favorite genre is thriller. Like I like uh, spy thrillers and, you know, something where somebody's chasing you or something like that, you know, get a little action in there. So, um, you know, for my non-deg segment, uh, it's more of kind of like almost horror action. Um, you know, uh, I, that's, that was my approach to the material. So, Okay, cool, cool. Now, um, I got to ask, who who inspired you? Who inspired me for, yeah. um, for are you talking about like my non-dead segment? No, no, just, just what, what, who oh, made you get into film? For um, filmmakers. I really like uh, Robert Rodriguez. Uh, he's really oh. cool. Um, you know, he did uh, Sin City. And I really liked his new movie that he did with Ben Affleck recently, Hypnotic. I went and saw that. I really enjoyed. Um, you know, so a Rob Rodriguez fan. I like Antoine Fuqua, uh, really good director. He made uh, the Equalizer movies, Training Day with Denzel. And uh, I like, uh, as a writer, I like the way Tarantino uses dialogue to drive storylines along. Um, nowadays though, the way I've been making movies is, uh, I'll write an outline and, uh, we'll work from the outline and the actors will improvise their dialogue and I'll kind of moderate the dialogue, you know, the way it's going, but then the actors get writing credits in addition to acting credits. So that's important, um, you know, to beef out their IMDb, you know, to get more than one credit in different categories. It's just, I, I I'm tired of, um, you know, writing these elaborate scripts. And then what happens is, oh, so-and-so didn't show up. So, oh, let me pull this page, this page, this page, this page, you know, or we have to rewrite all this crap, you know. So it's just easier to write an outline, you know, and then we can alter the outline, you know, to what it needs to be. And uh, people are usually pretty good at improvising. It's memorization where people have trouble, you know, because they don't, um, you know. They don't get the script. Oh, and it's not that they don't get the script ahead of time. Let's put it this way. They don't look at the script until they get to set. And so it's it's usually a lot better just to have improvisational dialogue. Um, It it is more natural. It comes more organically. I um, I I think I like the idea of the outline that that sounds interesting. I've never been on a set like that, Um, but I, I definitely feel like, improv feels more natural so when I'm acting on a set I kind of I guess technically use this like the dialogue that I've been given that I've been studying as an outline and um, it's never to like a T never verbatim unless the director specifies that he wants me to read everything word for word which I've only ever had happen once and it was because like he wanted it for the film he was like I want these lines coming out of your mouth for this movie um, and it, it, it ended up actually not feeling very natural and he, he regretted it <laughs> and he told me that he regretted it. And I was like, I knew you would, but you know what? I let you have your way, you know? Um, so I, that would be interesting. I think that I would enjoy that. It's actually. a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun because what's funny is sometimes people get completely, it's like, you know, people getting off topic, you know, you have to, as a director, you have to sit there and be like, whoa, 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 you know, go back this way, you know, or steer it back this way. But um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, that's how we did um, Mr. Darcy this past weekend. What's funny is uh, we actually, I, I've been so busy and, you know, we keep rescheduling everything. For Darcy, we didn't even have an outline. We were just kind of working from our knowledge of, you know, the original Pride and Prejudice and 
you know, um, everybody was pretty familiar with the subject material, you know, but we were, I was, I had the concept obviously, you know, but I was just trying to steer it in the right direction. But uh, it was funny because somebody said something to one of the actresses who was playing Jane and, you know, set her off about something. And so we had already filmed the reverse angle and it went so well. And then we turned the camera around, you know, cause I use one camera at a time and, uh, you know, we were filming the reverse angle and somebody said something that upset her. And so, the conversation just, you know, got got really heated, and I was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" You know, calm it down. You know, don't <laughs> get mad about it. Get back. See, I, I don't, I don't think I could do that in a movie because it'd be going fine, fine, fine. And you'd be like, all of a sudden, like, we stop talking about Star Wars for five minutes. So we can film this. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> like, hold on, or we try to stop selling something to somebody. Just, just let it go until we can. My wife yells at me about that one. She goes, you need to turn it off. I am a salesman 100% through and through, and I and I never turn it off until she yells at me to turn it off because you don't need to sell stuff at a family reunion or you don't need to sell stuff at a funeral. You don't need to sell. Yeah, this is, this. It's we're here to mourn Graham Graham right now. Yeah, we and I'm like. Stop selling the Star Wars figures. Yeah. I know you got cases of magic in. You need to shut up about that. <laughs> Where did you even put these to hide them to sneak them in here? Where did you even? Yeah, how are you? How did you get those in here? Give those to me now. I, I have, I have. Um, this is going. This is going to sound horrible. I have legitimately. I, I don't do good at funerals, whatever. And um, I left a funeral, walked down the street to a comic book store, bought some comic books, came back, and then everybody realized that I was gone about two minutes before I walked back in the door. And if I would have just been a little bit faster, no one would have noticed. And I wasn't. And everybody's like, where have you been? And I'm just standing there and I got my bag with my books in it. And I'm like, nowhere. And I was like, did you leave? Yeah. Everyone deals with death and trauma in their own way. And and you were simply taking your mind off of something that That's probably made right. That's what I did. I needed to get out of there at that time. Yeah. So. I don't think I've ever left the funeral to buy comic books, but I've definitely accidentally giggled at a few bad times. Oh, I've done that too. That's oh cool. yeah. And it's not because I'm like, it's not, it's not funny. It's because I'm like, I'm, I don't know I'm sad and I don't know what to do with my feelings and everyone's fucking crying. And I'm like, <laughs> yep. That's pretty much how it is. It's yep. or, somebody, or somebody will say something and it's never, mo it's never meant to be funny. I'll but let it catch is. you at the right moment. And you're just like, mm -hmm. yep. And then everyone turns and looks at you. Everyone's like, are you laughing right now? No, no. Just, just commemorating. They would want me to commemorate them by giggling. You know, we shouldn't be sad. We should be laughing. <laughs> I, I, I told my uh, my wife, I was like, I want the Doctor Who uh, funeral. I was like, I want, or the memorial. I want somebody to run in dressed like I was when I died. And just stop and go, this is where it's going to get really complicated, people. I <laughs> No, they'll, they'll come in wearing a, a, a baseball hat, a, a Nostromo t-shirt, <laughs> something stupid. I want everyone, I want there to be a group of like five or six people dressed in all black outfits, like the men in black, to just walk in, walk up to the front, turn around, pull out the thing, and then press the laser button, put it back in their pocket, walk away. Obviously, it's not going to work, and everyone's going to remember what happened, but they're going to be like, what the fuck was she a part of? What the <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly just just to mess with people I, I, I 
I'm one of the people that I will I mess with people always, so I it's just pretty much taken oh. for that I'll do I it. Just that um uh uh Derek did indeed say again that typo negative is lame. Oh yeah, he told me the same thing the other day. Yeah, <laughs> like, yes, he you and to her just gonna team up post. on me and yell at me. I was like, yeah, we are. Well, like, I just I told him I was like, we're gonna give you shit again. So this is me actively giving you shit right now, yes. Derek. Derek yeah. Derek is wrong in the fact that he does not like typo negative. So, wrong. <laughs> wrong. So oh uh, man. So I I I'm gonna have to get the dawn here. So I gotta ask you, sir. When do you have downtime? <laughs> you busy. I mean, I have a regular job, and then I'm always. Right now, I'm uh, halfway through writing the script of my next movie, Blood Bitch Baby, that Morgan will be in, and uh, and I'm also, uh, you know, as I find directors who are interested for the next anthology movie, uh, Amityville Aliens. I'm uh, sort of giving them the rules and telling them to, you know, use their own freedom and do whatever kind of treatment or segment they want, as long as it's got one or more aliens and they say it's in Amityville. Amityville. So, so, that's, so uh, you know, but right now it's a sort of a quiet time because when you're writing a script, you're just all by yourself. You're not interacting with a lot of other people, but uh, I'll probably need another couple of weeks to finish the script up. And then after I do that, then I'll start looking at locations and then uh, one of the most important things for my next movie is the uh, Morgan on the last movie that I did with Morgan, Debbie Does Demons. Uh, Morgan will well remember our little demon puppet that we had, the baby demon. I love him. Because Morgan operated it on her demon, baby demon's big scene. She was the one who had her hand in the baby demon and made that baby demon's mouth open and close. So anyway, the same guy, Josh, who made that puppet for us is making an all new demon eel puppet for the new movie, which is oh, going that's... to be, and the demon eel is going to be the baby that happens when one of our characters is raped by the devil. So uh, this baby, I... this baby demon eel, I have a suspicion that at one time or other, while we're filming, Morgan's hand may be up this baby demon uh, eel, making it uh, operate, because Morgan has just the right size hands, not too big, not too little, just I right to make a puppet it. work. Real Donald, they're baby hands. Come on, yeah, but, but they're just perfect for a puppet. Perfect. They are. They are. I can't wait to put my hand in that eel's ass. So, so she's gonna. She's gonna get. She's not only. She's gonna get a a a, a role. Uh, she's gonna have a start. She's also gonna be like a puppeteer. She's gonna get that puppeteer credit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she's gonna play Iris, a girl who we feel may be in danger of being a human sacrifice. But I'm not gonna say what ultimately happens to her. But that's what the audience is worrying. She plays a very likable character where we don't want anything bad to happen to her. And so when we start thinking that maybe somebody bad wants to sacrifice her to the big devil, uh, we start worrying for her uh, well-being. All but I can say that I may or may not happen. Uh, your character might possibly have a happy ending, but then again, you might not. You'll have to wait and see. I, I don't even know you guys, so I couldn't even spoil it if I wanted to. I'm just saying. All so I'm, I'm, I'm really not saying yet, but but I will predict that at one time during the movie, Morgan's hand will be up that demon's ass. <laughs> I, can't wait. I hope I'm the one that gets uh, gets the good, good loving from the devil, because that'll make two movies that I get sweet, sweet loving from the devil in. One of them being by Ari Lehman, and I can't wait for that, let me tell you. <laughs> That's right, so... 
I, I do think a, a little demon puppet is once more in your future, Morgan. So excited. <laughs> so so uh, is uh, Curtis going to be part of the uh, anthology for uh, Amityville Aliens? Yeah, yeah, he is. He's going to do a segment for Amityville Aliens. So uh, I got to ask, is Amityville Aliens, so that, like you said, the only rules are they got to have aliens, one or more, and it's got to take place in Amityville. That's yeah, I mean, Paul, you, you could do a segment, too, if you want. I mean, we're wide open. You can do a segment, too, and uh, you just got to follow those two rules. One or more aliens, and you got to say you're in Amityville. See, Paul, I, could, I could put I one think. where aliens attack or invade at my shop with so I can have magic players versus aliens. <laughs> I just want to put you in a full-body xenomorph suit with just your beard poking out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You can be the wife. I think Paul's cat. Paul's cat needs to be in it. Yep, my cats plural. Oh my god, his cats have to be in it for sure. Of course. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't know you had more than one. I just see one sneaking up on you in the background. That, so you know. the black and white one is Maze, and he she's right there. Yep. And uh, where's Lucy? She's somewhere. Then the other, and I have I have two corgis and a mutt dog, and. Uh, we we had we had the discussion, um, and I, I'm going to ask you guys this. All right, I think it's going to be a, my, one of my questions from now on. You can exist in one post-apocalyptic world, movie world. Which post-apocalyptic movie world are you existing in? And I always say Mad Max. And I was like, because I'd be rolling around the wasteland in my Magnum with my freaking corgi dogs. <laughs> I love that. That and you get to wear assless chaps. So <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's I'm glad that's a staple for you. This the buttless chaps. That's awesome. <laughs> I mm. think I got a chrome hockey mask too somewhere. So <laughs> it is just getting spicier and spicier by the minute. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I went to. Uh, I have a full size Skeletor mask. Uh -huh. Now that is what you should have led with. This. I went to yeah. I went to mess with my wife because she was upstairs. I put this thing on. I put a hoodie on so I have the hood over the Skeletor mask. The thing is, there are no air holes in that. So legitimately, the only time you get is the little bit of eye holes above the uh, the eye sockets for that. I try to run upstairs to scare her, and I get winded because I cannot breathe through that mask. And everybody's like, oh, you would have passed out. And then they would have found you laying on the steps with mm -hmm. the Skeletor mask on. And that would have been your karma for trying to scare your poor wife was you passed out with the Skeletor mask. <laughs> so are you married to a horror fan, Paul? Uh, mo yeah, she likes horror movies. She is okay, a horror cool. fan. I'm not. Nope. Nope. My wife doesn't like horror movies, you know, so uh, yeah, I think uh, Mr. Darcy probably will be the first movie of mine she's watched in years because, uh, you know, she doesn't watch uh, anything scary or anything oh, wow. like that. So. My, my yeah. wife loves horror movies. Um, I, I, I buy her little weird stuff whenever I do conventions and whatnot. Excuse me. And one of her favorite movies is the uh, um, Stephen King movie Cat's Eye. Uh, so I, spent a, I spent a day on the set of Cat's Eye when I was – because I covered it for Fangoria, so I got to spend a whole day watching them film Cat's Eye. Oh, that's so cool. That, that I, I would have stole something. 
They went that was back in uh, that was back in 1984, and I was uh, at De Laurentiis Studios in Wilmington, North Carolina. And the scene I got to watch them film was the scene where Robert Hayes is walking along the ledge of the building because the gangster makes him walk along the edge. Yep. So I got, and in the movie it looks like he's you know, hundreds of feet high in the air. But in reality, the ledge he was walking on was like 15 feet off the floor. <laughs> but uh, no, I even, I bought her. She's got some uh, oddball little things from Cat's Eye. I even have the uh, um, CED cartridge. Do you remember those? The movies that come on CEDs? I have oh, one of those oh, yeah, yeah. Cat's Eye. And it's, it's hanging up on her wall in her room. You don't see those very often oh, i i have a small collection because I'm, I'm a star wars nut so i have star wars and empire strikes back indiana jones oh, i do love indiana jones no time for jones things from another world not not the remake the original thing and it has this really weird artwork on the front and that's why i have it my my ced huh. player don't even work anymore but i have the cartridges and i have them over there same with i have yeah. laser discs but those are at the shop and not here. So <laughs> laser dicks, haha, <laughs> laser discs myself. But um, the the one that I used to have sitting up over my lamp is no longer there. It's Halloween, and it's orange. Yep. And my dad got it for me, and I don't know where he found it or like it. Just he was just like, hey, I left you something out back, and I opened up my back door, and it was a laser disc, and it had Halloween on it, and it, it it's so fucking cool. Oh my god. I I, I um one of my favorite movies of is uh uh the keep and one mm -hmm. of my good friends bought me i have the laser disc copy of the keep so yeah that never came out on blu-ray did it nope it didn't come out on dvd either i uh, mean i saw it at the theater when it was brand new but i've always wanted a blu-ray of it yeah i i have uh two vhs copies and a laser disc copy and um i guess people are taking because i think it's on prime now and people are taking that version of it and burning it in Blu-ray so you can get a Blu-ray print of it, which is just a burnt copy. So I don't even have yeah. a Blu-ray. I prefer the DVDs. And I know that's a wild, wild thing to say because you can get both at the same time. But the player that I have is specifically to play my weird porn from overseas. <laughs> so that's what my Blu-ray player is over there for. I have, I have, an, I have an import Blu-ray player because um, during the pandemic, every movie I wanted to watch oh, was yeah, you streaming, told number one. And two, it was out of print in America or it just hadn't been released in America. Yeah. So I'm sitting there going through Amazon. I'm like, well, I got a DVD player that plays region free. So I picked up Razorback, region free, Ghost Town. Um, the Scarlet Collection, the Hellraiser Collection, because it was, if you ordered it from England, the exact same set was like 30 bucks. If you ordered the American one, it was like 100 bucks. So I'm like, I'll spend 30 instead of 100. Uh, the House box set, so the four movies from House, and I think I picked that up for like 30 bucks. And I'm like, I got import cartoons and everything else that didn't get released. So can you play Region B uh, Blu-rays from Europe? Yeah, I'm back in the Region B business now myself because like two years ago, I bought a Region Free Blu-ray machine that would play all that stuff from uh, Europe, all the Region B Blu-rays. And it worked for a few months, and then all of a sudden it just stopped working and stopped playing Region B. I must have pushed the wrong button on it. 
And so uh, I got finally frustrated with being without my region-free capability. So last month I broke down and bought another region-free Blu-ray machine exactly like the one I have that stopped working. And so, so far, so good. So far, the new one I bought is working fine, and I'm back watching Region B Blu-rays. Cool. I know sometimes you can uh, – um, uh, they, they ask for updates. And if you skip the update, it will – so you got to be online, do the updates, and it will still update and be able to play everything. So, yeah, All the right. way mine works is you're supposed to put the disc in the tray, but you're not supposed to make the tray go into the machine until you push the blue button on the remote. And when you push the blue button on the remote, that's supposed to set it for region B. Then after you push the blue button, you're supposed to go ahead and let the uh, tray go into the machine, and then you're supposed to be good to go. And so far, it's working fine. You know. Mine, you just put the disc in, hit play. Plays everything. Yeah. But so once, you, once you push the blue button on the remote one time with mine, it's locked on region B, and you don't ever have to push the blue button again. As long as you don't switch it back, it's set for region B. So I just have two Blu-ray machines, and I keep one set for region B and one set for American stuff. See, I used mine. I watched European releases, and I watched Japanese releases. No problem. So I don't, but mine's a, it's a Magnavox. I don't know. Um, I, have to, <laughs> I have to go check. No, it's a Sony. So I remember. Oh, I get a lot of stuff from that British company Indicator and from Arrow, the, another British company. And it seems like half of their stuff is region B. And But then I also get a lot of stuff from an Australian company called Imprint and everything they make is region free. So everything from Australia will play on an American Blu-ray machine. Yeah, I found that out because of uh, um, what they send me. Friends sent me a movie, and I can't even think off the top of my head, but it was an Australian release of it. And it played fine on every DVD and Blu-ray player I have. So I'm like, sweet, no problem. So, I I have to get off of here. Cool. Uh, All right. I be on for about an hour. Yeah. Sorry. All right. Well, you have a good night. I'll talk to you later. We'll, you we'll great to talk to you, Morgan. It was good talking good to, to you. Too. Good, good, night. Night. Oh, good, night. good talking to you again. Bye. 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 So, all right. Um, so I gotta ask Don. Uh, you, you can say yes or no, whatever. Uh, what's going on with Scream Dreams right now? Uh oh. Well, I really don't have any involvement in the making of it. I uh, gave him permission to use the title, and that's the end of my involvement. That's totally Adam's movie. So any questions about Scream Dream, you've got to ask to Adam. I uh, I have no involvement in the actual production of it. Uh, that's not a movie that I'm an active producer on like I was on the new version of uh, Savage Vengeance where I was the active producer and I supervised. I supervised that movie every step of the way and I uh, you know, was constantly monitoring the post-production, making sure we had the acceptable deliverables for our distributor. But with uh, Scream Dream, from this point on, I have zero involvement. Uh, I've already done my one job on the movie, which was to give uh, them permission to make it. So from the, they're on, they're totally on their own. And, uh, you know, I'll just have to wait till it comes out and see how it turned out. Okay, because I know that there's, like, like people are leaving it, and I was like, what what's going on? And... and... So I I was I had to ask if you knew. So if not, I'll get a hold of Adam again and have him on here and have him talk to me about. I it. really I really am totally out of the loop on that one. So and I don't really want to be involved with it because I've got my plate full with these two movies I'm prepping right now between 
Blood Bitch Baby and uh, Amityville Aliens. I've got my hands full. I don't need a third movie. <laughs> so um, so th this is to, for both of you. Going to start with Curtis first. You can go back and redo one of your movies, like give get, get a bigger budget or something. Would you go back and re redo one of your old movies? Definitely, yeah. Oh. There's uh, one called Dr. S., um, and so this was the first screenplay that I wrote back in 2004, like first feature length. And mm -hmm. so it really took me, um, it took me like 14 years to make the movie. And, uh, a lot of it was done on green screen, you know, um, but you know, I spent a lot of time and effort on it and I'm happy with how it turned out for the budget that we used. But if I, if I could go back and, um, you know, remake one of my movies, that would be it. And I would want to do the whole trilogy because it's a, trilogy of stories um i actually you know have you know multiple screenplays for you know the first second and third one but then also i wrote books out of them too you know to help me understand you know the filmmaking aspect behind it what's hilarious is amazon is always you know writing me and saying oh well uh you know we're trying to sell the movie rights for your book or whatever like i'm like i've already made the movie like why are you trying to sell the rights you know and uh you know, people are always asking me, though, they're like, uh, you know, can we make this in like we'd like to make this into a movie or whatever. And I'm like, uh, that's the whole reason I wrote the book was to help me when I make the movie. You know, I just published the book. So um, it'd be out there for people to read. Sweet. Uh, same question to you, Don. I know you've you've remade you're remaking some of your old movies. Is there one that you would like to go back and touch on? Well, I mean, there's things about some of my old movies that I wish I could have a time machine and change. I mean, when I made the original Cannibal Hookers in 1987, we filmed two thirds of the movie. And then my lead actor was in a motorcycle wreck and broke his leg. So we had to completely throw out the last third of the script and write a all new ending of the movie to explain why his character was no longer around. And so if I had uh, known that was going to happen, I would have not cast that guy in the lead role. I would have cast the uh, smaller part that Matt had. I would have promoted him to a lead since he's the one that was going to end up being the bigger star in the future. And if I'd known he was going to go straight into Nightmare on Elm Street 5, I would have made him the male lead instead of the other guy that was going to have his leg broken. <laughs> That's crazy, though. Um <clears throat> So I got get back to Curtis here. Um, By the way, did you see the new movie Renfield with Nicolas uh, Cage? Yes, I did. Yep. Oh that well, that movie that movie has a connection with my original Cannibal Hookers, because when I made Cannibal Hookers, my makeup effects guy was a guy named Brian Sipe, who was getting his very first movie credit with my movie Cannibal Hookers, and now flash forward a few decades, and uh, Brian just worked on Renfield with Nicolas Cage doing makeup. And that's one of many movies he's been working on. He also did the brand new Guardians of the Galaxy movie. He did Terminator Genesis, where he was Arnold Schwarzenegger's personal makeup man. And so he's got this amazing career. He's worked with Brad Pitt. But his entire career started with my movie, Cannibal Hookers. So he's he's one of my big success stories that I'm proud of. Cool, cool. Now, Eric Curtis, you hoping that 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 you can you can sweep in here and and hook up with Donald and and uh, be making Nightmare on the Street movies in a couple of years? Uh, uh, what's that? You, you, I was you like, uh, did, do you, are you hoping that with uh, making Nun Dead and hooking up with Don that maybe that's your your step to to greatness? <laughs> 
It could be, you know, it's always a lot of fun though. Anytime Donald has a project, um, you know, just whatever it is, is always very interesting. And so it, you know, it's refreshing, you know, to not have to make a full feature, you know, just to make kind of a shorter segment, you know, because you can really get experimental and try different things. And so, um, you know, it, it just is always a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm working on, you know, my idea for the Amityville aliens movie and, uh, you know, I already have some uh, cool ideas for it. I just need to, um, you know, further develop and maybe a lot of what I do sometimes is I'll, I'll just have to go out and film something, you know, and then cut it together and see how that did. You know, if it, hey, if it works, it works and maybe uh, film some more if it didn't. So Nice. So I, I, I didn't ask Don this the last couple of times. I'm going to ask him this. I'm going to ask you too, Curtis. Um, what franchise sandbox? would you like to play in? Oh, well, uh, my favorite franchises are uh, all from the 70s and 60s. My favorite franchises are like the uh, Hammer, Dracula, and Frankenstein franchise, and the uh, American International. I like the uh, Dr. Fives franchise, which only lasted for two movies. And I like the Count Yorga franchise from American International that only lasted for two movies. But... Those are probably my top favorite franchises, those uh, franchises from the 60s and 70s. Now, would you reboot it or would you make a continuation just years later? Well, I always thought Dr. Five should have had a third film and they were they were planning to make a third film and they had the third film all written. It was going to be called Brides of Fives. But uh, for some reason, uh, American International, which financed the first two films, decided not to invest in a third movie at the last minute. They decided they would not put up the money. And so even though that project was almost ready to go, they killed it before production could start. And I always thought that was a tragic thing. You know, they had Vincent Price in their prime, in his prime where he could have could have uh, continued the role. A few years ago, there was a lot of talk that they were finally going to make a third Fives film. But since Vincent Price has been dead for a long time, he died in uh, 93, uh, they were talking about casting Malcolm McDowell in it, but that was several years ago, and now that's never even happened. So, turned out that plan for a third Fives film hasn't happened either. But I really don't want to. I don't really want to make a Doctor Fives third film. I thought you could only make a Doctor Fives film with Vincent Price, and so the only way I would want to make one is if I could get in a time machine and go back to the seventies and then do it. That's the only way I would want to do it. I, I, I would I would touch on this one caveat if you did one Dr. Fibes movie and without Vincent Price. Get Jeffrey Rush because he did a great homage to him in uh House on Haunted Hill. Hill. Have yeah, him have sons Hill. of have son of Fibes and have him be Dr. Fibes' son. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, he did an incredible job in that movie. You're right. Yeah. And the fact is he did not intend to do that, and I'm like I thought it was all on purpose, but if you go back and listen to the to the uh, commentary and all that stuff, it was not done on purpose. I'm like, that's bullshit. I'm calling. Bullshit. I was like, you totally did that on purpose. Speaking of, you know, him remaking House on Haunted Hill. Anybody who's seen House on Haunted Hill knows there there's that iconic L.A. mansion that they use for the movie. And when you watch the beginning of the movie and all the guests arriving at the house. You see this big mansion, which is a real L.A. mansion. It's called the Enzer House, and it's located right across the street from where the editor of Famous Monsters, Forrey Ackerman, used to live when he was alive. 
And so when I made my remake of Cannibal Hookers a few years ago, I had a second unit director, Carolyn Capo, in Los Angeles, and we needed to shoot an exterior of some building and claim it was the Hooker's Bordello. So I sent her over to that street where the Inzer Mansion is from House on Haunted Hill. I had her shoot exteriors of it. So now I've got the actual Vincent Price House on Haunted Hill Mansion in my movie, Cannibal Hookers, and we're passing it off as the Hooker's Bordello. Nice. That, that is, that's cool. That is very cool. You watch, when you watch Cannibal Hookers, watch for those shots of the actual house on Haunted Hill. <laughs> so, same question to you. Uh, I've always wanted to make a uh, James Bond movie. You know, I have a, a really good idea for one and a really good pitch. And I actually started uh, trying to email uh, the company, you know, the James Bond production company. And I got through like three or four rounds of emails and I really just wanted to give them my ideas so they could make it because it's something I want to watch. Um, but honestly, um, I, I would really like to do a, another Punisher movie with Thomas Jane because, um, you know, I really like his Punisher movie. And I, I think uh, like a Punisher 2, you know, with uh, Thomas Jane would be really good. And I have some ideas for that one as well. So. The, the, did you ever see Dirty Laundry? That short yeah. thing? Him? Yeah. Yes, that's I stupid. did. And that's great. It's just a little... I wish they had, you know, that had ignited, you know, Marvel's desire to want to continue with him as the Punisher, but I don't understand, you know, because, well, you know, they're getting into all this multiverse stuff, you know, and I, I'm glad that people are finally realizing that, oh, we can have more than one Batman at one time, you know, like, uh, you know, because, you know, now you have multiple actors playing live action Batman at the same time in the old days, it used to be one actor at a time, you know, but now you have multiple actors who can play the same roles because they're, you know, doing multiverse and that kind of yep. thing. Well, I, I'm, I'm a comic book nerd. I'm, I'm a huge comic book fan. I love Punisher. And the thing they could have done with the Punisher is, is you could have the Punisher that you got with the TV series. And that can be your standard, regular Marvel universe Punisher. But you could also have that Marvel Knights slash Marvel Max Punisher, who is the right. old man, the old grizzled, Viet, actual Vietnam vet. So the dude's like 70. And he's still out there, you know, former Marine. He's all scarred up and, and still waging a war. You could have that, too. I, and, I really I really think it would be a good movie, you know. And Thomas Jane, you know, he's still acting in a lot of stuff. You know, he's acting all the time. You know, and I, I think uh, he was a good Punisher then, but I think he'd be a great Punisher now. Um, well, you know, he's just still perfect for the part. Oh, yeah. Well, it, Thomas Jane, is, it's kind of funny, is uh, a friend of mine was friends with Thomas Jane because they worked on a comic book together. He was a comic book artist. He worked on a book with him, and he had his number. And I'm sitting there talking to Josh one day at a con, and he's like, we were talking about um, The Mist. And he goes, yeah, he goes, he goes, I love Stephen King. And he's that ending where they do the whole, you know, the whole thing in the mist. He goes, he goes, I called Thomas Jane up and went, what the hell? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because he's sitting there, he shows me his phone and there you can look through the things and there's like on his things is a Tom Jane. And I'm like, that's insane. You have my number up down here and then you go up like 10 people. And then Thomas Jane is above me on your phone. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that movie did, ending, that movie that did have a messed up ending. Man, oh, <laughs> yeah, that that was uh, one I, of I the was... worst, probably one of the worst endings of all time. If I if I you know one of them, you know, not not the worst, but you know, 
it's pretty bad. It's brutal. I remember watching that in the theater and, and remembering the book and I'm sitting there just watching it and I'm like, oh shit. He just shot every he, oh. Okay, they're not leaving as ambiguous like they did in the book. <laughs> but oh my God. And uh but no, it's, it was just funny because he had to call him up and complain because he's like, I have his number. I'm gonna <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, Tom, uh, um, I actually liked Ray Stevens as the pun, uh, the way he looked, cause he looks like that version of the Punisher. I didn't much care for that version of the Punisher, but I thought he looked more like the Punisher than, the, than that. So <laughs> Don's getting up here. So, um, there we go. Now he's back. Um, now, now. You you went you said you went through a couple rounds with uh with their United Artists for for Bond right you uh, yeah oh it, well it's the production company like the producers uh, everything or nothing Eon Productions like I just started emailing them you know and I, you know they they were saying oh we can't take unsolicited submissions yeah. you know but then I kept emailing and kept emailing and I was like you know I just really want to give you all my pitch or whatever and so I, I had you know emailed with them for three or four rounds. But then, you know, enough time elapsed between like the third or fourth email that I tried to email them again just to follow up. And it went straight back to it reset to that, you know, oh, we cannot take unsolicited submissions. And so I was like, well, I, I don't think I'm getting this through, you know, and really like I had a really good pitch, you know, for uh, the new Bond movie, whatever they're doing next. But um, I'm sure whatever it is will be really cool, um, you know, but yeah, I made the I, I've tried. They could do times. anything with it. They could do anything with uh, James Bond right now. And, you know, I, I have this innovative thing, an innovative approach to the new movie that they could do that it would just, you know, I think it would be jaw-dropping, but um, I, I'll never be able to convey it to them. So. Have you heard what the rumor is now about they've made a selection for the next Bond? I haven't heard the rumor, no. What is it? That they're getting the star of that movie, Kick-Ass. Oh, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've heard, well, I've, heard he, I've heard that he's not been officially offered the job yet, but of everyone who's auditioned, he's leading the pack. They like him the best. I, he's I, really he's, good. He was great in Bullet Train. He get, oh, oh, I love I love Bullet Train. That's a great movie. He's he getting the job fantastic. as uh, he got the job of Craven the Hunter mm -hmm. because really? of Bullet Train. Yeah, yeah, Bullet Train. Oh, yeah, well, everybody should watch Bullet Train. Yeah. R-rated Spider-Man spinoff coming out. Craven uh, oh the Hunter sounds really cool. Yeah, I just seen a picture of it though. I'm a little like, eh, where's this? Where's this lion head vest? Come on, man, at least have that. So uh, I, I mean, I saw, I read all those Spider-Man comics when they were coming out, and I read the the very first appearance of Craven the Hunter, and uh, and whenever they make a movie and they don't, they deviate too much from the way the character looked in the comic, I get mad. Like I was. Very upset with that Spider-Man movie recently that had uh, Mysterio in it. It didn't look anything like in the comic book. I, I thought that deviated a little too far. Yeah, because I get kind of some of it because, you know, just being updated and whatnot. Because we, we, me and my son noticed that in the 60s, Marvel loved two colors, purple and green. And everything was purple and green. And we start look literally examining all these characters that are purple and green. You got Hulk, Green Goblin, Mysterio, 
Vulture, the Beetle. You just keep going. It's like green and purple, green and purple, green and purple. And I'm like, I know why well, they update these now because this green and purple kind of ugly colors together. The first issues of Spider-Man in the 60s, two of his major villains from the first 10 issues were almost solid green. You know, the Green Goblin and the Lizard were mm -hmm. both almost green. Yep. Well, I, I am a... Um, being a comic book fan, I, I've decided that I'm picking one book at a time. I will save back money and I'll buy that one book. Uh, right now, the last book I just did that with was I got uh, Amazing 121, The Death of Gwen Stacy. And because mm -hmm. uh, that messed with me when I was a kid. Mind you, that book came out well before I was born and I didn't read it until I was in elementary school and like one of them trade paperbacks that you got at the school. And I'm like sitting there being a little kid going, they can't kill her off. Huh. They killed her off. And she's dead. And she stayed dead. She's still dead to this day. And it's just something surprising that Marvel has done. Because <laughs> Marvel doesn't keep anybody dead. And then they <laughs> killed her in the movie with Emma Stone. I didn't like that either. See, I, I like that. Because I was like, because me and my son were at the theater and we we're watching it. And it was like, are they going to kill her off? You know, I could definitely kind of see them keeping her alive. It's a different universe. And when she falls and you're just like, oh, nope. Nope. They're keeping her dead too. So, <laughs> but, oh my God. But um, I know this is bad talking about James Bond. Um, I watched um, Not Inception, Tenet. Um, right. Robert Pat Pattinson, who's now Batman. I think he could have played a good Bond at because he's young enough, and he's he's got the physique, he's got the accent, he's young enough. You could start him out, and he could get like four or five movies in before he would be too old. Ironically, Aaron Taylor Johnson, you know, who Donald said was a front runner, you know, he's in Tenet as well. You know, he is a smaller part. You know, yeah. toward the end of Tenet. So, um, yeah, it was funny was when I was watching that movie. Uh, you know, I knew who all was in it, and his part doesn't come around to like the very last third or whatever. And I'm like, is he even in this movie? You know, because uh, you know, you see like, oh, so and so's in this movie. You know, but sometimes they just have a little bit appearance or something of the sort. Oh, we were. I was watching a movie last night, and uh, one of the main people isn't in the opening credits. But a character who's only in the movie for like 10 minutes is in the opening credits. And I'm like, I can tell you what it is. It's, it's, it was Resident Evil Retribution because I was just had it on while I was reading. And uh, I'm watching it and I'm looking at that. And that Ode o Obed Fier, the, the, mm -hmm. the guy from The Mummy, um, he's in it. And he's not credited in the beginning, but like, one of the other actors who's only in like the last 20 minutes of the movie is in the opening credits. I'm like, how, what happened there? Was there some sort of, <laughs> some sort sometimes of actors don't want to be credited, you know, for whatever movie it is. So you'll have these great movies where people play great roles and then they're not in the credits. Um, you know, and sometimes it's for, you know, personal reasons or something to do with uh, contractual obligations. Um, for, I think, 
it, like seven. Like uh, Kevin Spacey is not in the opening credits or no, something like they that. They didn't want people to know who the they didn't want it to know is Kevin Spacey. And I think he's credited in the closing credits, but yeah. like you know, in the opening credits, you know, he's not credited. So, um, Star Trek: Wrath of Khan. Um, I cannot remember the guy's name. He's the one who plays. I want to say he's Khan's son, the, his second in command. He just came off the show. I want to say he was on the show Phoenix. He was a he was a uh, um, uh, I want to say soap opera actor before he did. It. He screwed up in his contract. He's not credited anywhere up until I think the re-release, like the when they when they when they remastered it and re-released it, they actually put his name because of something. He goes, "Oh, I don't want to be in the opening credits," and they just took him out of all the credits, so he's not even listed until relatively recently. Because oh, of wow. some, some stupid accident in in misunderstanding. So uh, yeah, if you're a fan of Star Trek: Wrath of Khan, and you like Ricardo Montalban as that character, then there's another movie everybody should watch that he's in called Sweet Charity. He's really great in that one too. He plays a completely different character. He plays a an Italian movie star, and uh, that's my other favorite movie of his besides the Star Trek movie. What was uh? thinking of star trek though i went to a concert seeing this band called dorothy in indianapolis this venue is huge you we went downstairs and saw the band play well william shatner was showing star trek 2 in another part of the building and they have it up on this big screen in another part of the building so while i'm downstairs waiting for the band to take stage i kept going upstairs and watching uh, Star Trek Wrath of Khan on the big screen with William Shatner doing the commentary. And then William Shatner just goes walking by me and I'm like, huh, this is just a weird day. Because <laughs> we didn't know. We get all the way to the convention. It's like Dorothy, you know, and, and then tonight only Star Trek Wrath of Khan with William Shatner. And you're just like, why would this be a double... Why would you double book these two people at the same time? But it didn't get to watch William Shatner walk out the building. And it was like, oh, I guess he was here. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we get too far, um, upcoming projects. What you got going on there, sir? Curtis. Uh, you want me to, you want me to yeah, go first? We'll, we'll okay. let you go first, Curtis. Okay, uh, well, I got a movie in a couple weeks, so I'm going to, It's been, it was delayed, um, so my nephews are in it, and so they actually got sick, you know, on the original film day, but uh, we delayed it, so now it's two weeks from this past Saturday, it's called Blink, it's going to be about um, this little girl who can teleport, and so she, she befriends these two uh, young boys in her neighborhood, but then the government starts coming after them. So that should be pretty fun. Um, that's one thing I'm working on. Um, I'm going to try to do a comedy called Park Rangers, which is, um, you know, just kind of a, you know, silly movie about, um, you know, people who work at this uh, wildlife park. And uh, there'll be uh, somebody uh, in a gorilla costume, you know, running around in the woods and they think he's like the Bigfoot or something. So that'll be uh, hopefully, hopefully funny. And, um, then, you know, there's other projects I'm working on. I'm always trying to work on something. I try to stay busy. Uh, you know, filmmaking is just how, you know, I express myself and, you know, gives me something to look forward to. So 
I try to, obviously I'm working on, uh, you know, a segment for Donald's movie, uh, the Amityville aliens. So that's uh, coming up as well. Okay. So I got to ask, um, what is your, what is your day job? What's your, I'm an Uber driver. I'm actually a nighttime Uber driver and yeah, that's, uh, how I pay the bills. And so, yeah, I usually, uh, I drive from usually about, um, you know, nine 30 or 10 at night till about uh, two or three in the morning. And I do that most nights of the week, um, usually about Wednesday through Saturday. Uh, I'll, the early part of the week is a little bit slower, but, um, you know, professional driver, that's what I do. So have you, have you had anybody figure out who you were while you're driving them? Uh, not, well, I mean, I promote myself, you know, like, you know, we'll just get on the conversation, like get on the topic of movies or whatever. And some people are like, oh, you're on, you're, you're, you got films on Tubi. So I'll tell them to go, go watch, watch your step on Tubi. Uh, you know, so that's a, you know, free website, you know, you can go watch movies. And so I have several films on there and, um, you know, people can watch them if they want to check out, you know, something interesting. Uh, but yeah, watch your step is generally, uh, that's the one I recommend to people because people enjoy it so much. Uh, it's just, you know, it, it appeals. It's, uh, you know, like an alien movie. It's actually kind of a loose remake of this, um, um, movie called deep rising. And I watched that the other night, uh, treat williams is in that and he passed away the other day and uh, really talented actor the but you know i love that movie deep rising and a lot of people haven't even heard of it it's from stephen Sommers, who made the uh first couple mummy movies blade and, uh, or, yeah first blade movie and he's oh yeah, he's, I love van that helsing movie. he made van helsing yeah van van helsing, helsing, that's yeah. right yeah i'm i'm i remember going and seeing uh um deep rising in the theater when it dropped I, I love that movie with the stupid giant octopus snake things and right, right, right. And uh, um, God, um, because he went and he took some of the cast with him to, when he when he did GI Joe, uh, because, right? Yeah, um, um, Benny, because he's from the Mummy movies too. He, he he's like right. one of his buddies, so that's a great one. And Famke Jansen in there is too, so you know you can't go wrong with her. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a good film. Smoking and uh, but the, the what we pulled from that for Watch Your Step was you know dark hallways, mercenaries, you know going into some place that they shouldn't be going into, and then you know creatures systematically taking them out one by one. So um, you know that that we had a great location when we did Watch Your Step. It was in uh, Philadelphia. It was this, some sort of factory, but it hadn't been touched probably in about fifteen or twenty years. And so mm -hmm. it just had, you know, dust and water and like it, it was, it was old and it was gross, you know, and it just like, you know, but it, you know, it had aged it, like you couldn't even hire, uh, you know, a set build a set. production designer to build something that authentic, you know, that had just aged. So, you know, aged like that over the years and, you know, like in the bathroom, there was like rainbow, um, algae or something growing on the walls like you know like your fluorescent green algae and it was just you could you couldn't you know you can't imagine something like that you just have to you know that's that was something a great discovery and since we made the movie they have since demolished the place because that's how unsound it was you know because it, you know it was really old and in disrepair and um you know it, it's connected to a business that's in you know works but um you know, they, they demolished the older part, I think, maybe to make way for a, 
newer section or something like that but that was the coolest location i really enjoyed filming there but every hour i made the actors take a break you know we went outside you know to get some oxygen you know because i had a feeling we were huffing some sort of chemicals or you know you know mold or something you know and i'm like yeah we're all gonna die but i think everybody's still alive who was on that set so you know i don't think anybody passed on so we were talking about this in the beginning don was um New Orleans, we were talking about New Orleans. I I said this about New Orleans. New Orleans looks like a set because mm-hmm. you see so many movies filmed there. Everything's filmed and it looks it looks fake, even though it's real because it looks right, fake. right, right. Um, we went to the uh, city park and there's that Spanish moss growing on everything, and it looks like somebody just went in there, decorated it, like hung it up. And I'm like, just just how stuff grows. This is how it is. Right, right. City <laughs> park. Yeah. So, um, Don, to you, you said you have a regular job now that when you're not making films, uh, which, what's your regular job, sir? Well, I'm a manager for a property company that develops and manages resort real estate properties. Oh, damn. Now, do, do, does anybody from that you've worked with new, f- figure out who you were? No. Nope. No, <laughs> no one, no one that I work with apparently is a movie fan. <laughs> I, I'd be crazy, go get some property or something like that, and you're just staring and be like, do you make cannibal hookers? <laughs> uh, the uh, the only time I've ever been recognized by complete strangers in public was back in 2009 when I was on this VH1 reality show. And uh, even I was, uh, it was like a dating kind of bachelor show, and I was eliminated on the very first episode. So I'm only on one episode of it, but for like a solid month after I, my episode aired, at least one time every single day, someone every day recognized me, some stranger. One time I was in a Popeye's chicken and this lady with about four children recognized me and she had me pose for photos, an individual photo with each of her four children. She didn't want a, <laughs> want a group photo. She wanted me to pose for four photos, one photo with each child. So I said, sure. And I, then one time I was at a fair, and this little boy looked like a little 10-year-old boy. He came running up. He recognized me. So this lasted for about a month of people, at least one person a day, recognizing me. And then after about a month, it sort of faded away. <laughs> so that's the, only, that's the only time I've had that experience of complete strangers saying, I know who you are. <laughs> I, I, I've finally started having that recently. Uh, I was set up over at, at uh, uh, Haunted Screams Expo doing essentially this. But I had my my uh, my Saturday morning cartoon show on. And this guy comes up and he's talking to me and he looks down at the TV and he looks back up at me and he looks down at the TV and he looks back up at me and he goes, you're Captain Cartoon. I went, yeah, yeah, I am. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love your show. I'm like, thank you. And uh, it's, it's hitting more now, but it, it only hits at like conventions. So people that, that, you know, it's funny because now I have friends who didn't even know I was doing the show are like, dude, I found your show. Why didn't you tell me? I'm like, I put it on social media all the time, I guess. I didn't have to run up and tell you that I'm doing this thing. <laughs> but, what cartoons do you show? Um, I show whatever I want mostly because I'm demonetized, so I don't care. Because what are they going to do? Take my monetization away? So, um. This week is um, the uh, it's all filmation. 
So because uh, it's the we're doing the last episode of Black Star. So mm -hmm. since it's all Black Star's filmation, and I just got the book, the the animation by filmation. Uh, so I'm doing it's Journey to the Center of the Earth, Fantastic Voyage, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Groovy Ghoulies, The Archies, then Filmation's Ghostbusters, Brave Star, He-Man, Black Star, and then I'm doing She-Ra. So uh, I want to watch Fantastic Voyage. I didn't know there was a cartoon version of Fantastic Voyage. So I didn't that discover like, that until recently. Was that like a just a one cartoon one of it or was it a cartoon series it's a cartoon series yeah um they did they, they did the journey they did fantastic voyage and they also did a pilot that never got picked up so it's just a mo uh, animated movie for lost in space which i didn't know existed up until about oh i, well, I want to see that too wow yeah. um I, I would tell you i'll have to let you know and i can tell you what episode it's on of my show and you can go on it. Yeah, send me send me a link or something. I want to watch the Fantastic Voyage episode. Yeah, Fantastic Voyage. I'm I'm airing episode thirteen this week. Uh, yeah, I, I saw that movie when it was brand new in theaters back in the sixties. That was like one of my all time favorite movies. This, this is what I do every week. Is every cartoon I do, I I put here. I put an order that I'm going to do it. Uh, that's that one, and then I have my other one, which is I do my uh, um, my Sci Friday show, and I oh. show uh, Sci Fi shows that people don't know exist or stuff that only had like six or seven episodes and got canceled. And and uh, this week we're doing Quark, Jason of Star Command, Star Lost, and the reboot of Night Stalker. So, oh, is Quark the show with Richard Benjamin? Yep. Oh, yeah, I saw one episode of that a few years ago. That's a good show. Yeah, and, and I got that one mixed up with, uh, because it's about a space garbage man, and I got that mixed up with Salvage One, the one with Andy Griffith, where he plays a space garbage oh, man. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Well, the funny thing about um, uh, Quark is, is that Tim Thomerson's on it. Um. The, I can't remember his name, but he played uh, uh, Mindy's dad on Mork and Mindy. He's on it. And uh, the the Double Mint twins, they both play, I think they both played Barbara. They play, they played two girls named this, with the same name. Oh, I remember that. I remember the twins on Quark. Yep. But uh, that, that one only lasted eight episodes. We did, uh, um, um, like I said, do Star Lost because... Um, I met when I met Harlan Ellison. He was telling me about it, and I just couldn't help but not run that show because the the, uh, the fact that he hurried up and got his name taken off of it because he hated it immediately. So, oh yeah, yeah. I met him like years ago. He was doing a autograph signing in Los Angeles, and so I went and got him to sign one of his books for me. The, we used to have the sci-fi convention in Nashville near where I live back in the seventies, and they would usually several years running they invited harlan ellison to be their guest of honor because it was a sci-fi convention more fo more focused on writing more on fiction books than it was on movies it had more had a, a literature emphasis so they would always have harlan ellison on and if you know about harlan ellison you know that the one thing he's done in the past that he doesn't like anyone to mention to him is that he wrote the screenplay for this movie called the oscar 
and you're not ever supposed to mention that to Harlan Ellison. And so somebody at this convention in Nashville, some fan innocently walked up to him and said, tell us about when you worked on the Oscar, Mr. Ellison. And they said Harlan Ellison grabbed this kid by the lapels, tried to lift him up in the air and said, don't ever mention that to me again. Well, you, there, there's, when I talk to him, there's, there's one thing. You never call it sci-fi. It's speculative fiction. Uh -huh. That was his number one thing. And uh, number two, he hated William Shatner. <laughs> what did he hate? He hated William Shatner. Oh. Because oh. the city on the edge of forever. And uh, he did not get along with Gene Roddenberry either. And, uh, but, oh my God. Well, the best part about it was, was he was one of the guests of honor at this um, uh, summit that we were having. And, uh, he came over and he sat at our table during dinner and he just told us a billion stories and you're just like, I'm just sitting here like, yes, sir. I will listen to every because you're Harlan. I mean, I mean, is it true? I heard the story that he sued James Cameron when the Terminator came yeah. out because he claimed Cameron ripped him off. Yep, it's because uh, the, the demon with the glass hand and the soldier from uh, – um, Outer Limits. Oh, yeah. Yep. Because uh, um, it was about a time-traveling uh, soldier that went back in the past, and uh, he sued to get his name put on the uh, uh, poster and, and get uh, credits for Terminator because he came up with this the basic premise that became Terminator later on. Uh, did he win the lawsuit? Yeah, yeah. If you go look at a, a, a Terminator box set or something, go look at the credits. He's credited in... Uh, um, now oh wow yep. <laughs> more power for him <laughs> he was a um angry old curmudgeon yeah do you remember they in the 70s there was this late night talk show called the tomorrow show with tom snyder and they would have harlan ellison on several times a year he was like their favorite guest he would they would have him on three or four times every year without fail and whenever he was on that show all he would do was bitch about all the people he hated <laughs> oh yeah he's he's well, um, when when I met him, jeez, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, he was one of the heads of Mad Magazine back in the day. He had just passed away. And Carlos, well, I think William Gaines ran Mad Magazine. Yeah, William Gaines. Bill Gaines had just passed away at that point. And uh, he was telling him because I guess they were like really good friends. And he was just telling us all these stories about Bill Gaines back in the day. And, and, uh, Oh yeah, but he he was he was a a grumpy old man. But I would have, I would have given anything if I would have had this if he'd still be alive now to have him on my show. I Absolutely, would, I would do. I anything. mean, if you had a talk show, he was a perfect guest because he was. You never knew what he was going to say. He was really colorful. And and the fact is, my kids even got to know him because of all things Scooby Doo. Because mm -hmm. he um, the Scooby Doo Mystery Incorporated. He was a reoccurring character as Harlan Ellison on Scooby-Doo. Oh, my, I didn't know that. Yeah, and my kids loved it. Um, that that cartoon, if you ever get a chance, uh, watch Mystery Incorporated. It's one of the best Scooby-Doo series they ever did. It's for the people that grew up on the original Scooby-Doo. It's for them. Um, the cast is stupid because it has the original cast. Come, You know, you, you still got some of the people. Um, Casey Kasem comes back as Shaggy's dad. 
Um, Louis Black is a guy named Mr. E. Um, Vivica A. Fox is his girlfriend. Harlan Ellison is in it. Jeffrey Combs plays H.P. Hatecraft. Uh, um, <laughs> it, Mark Hamill's in it. Like, just tons of people are in this show. It's really dark. One of the villains is a parrot named Professor Pericles, and it's voiced by Udo Kier. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm like telling people, I'm like, this is a Scooby-Doo TV series that was on Cartoon Network. And I, I loved it. I, I would, I go back and watch it every once in a while because it's, it's mature. It's, it's not, it's, it's for the people that grew up on Scooby-Doo. And now what do you say it's called? Mystery, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. Okay. I'll have to look that up. I think it's on Tubi. If not, I think it's on Prime, but yeah, it's, it's, it's one of them shows that you can watch it and it's, it's dark. Um, they bring like one of the characters like dies. I mean, they die off screen, but one of their, their main character, not like the Scooby gang, but they die in the, in the cartoon. And you're just oh, like, wow. huh, I didn't see that. coming. <laughs> so, but, um, anything, uh, Indiegogo's do you, you got an Indiegogo going on? Curtis, anything? Nope. No, uh, Donald, no, you have a... no Indiegogo's. Uh, you said that none dead will drop in August. Is that correct? At current, uh, you can order it now from srscinema.com. But if you order it, it's a pre-order, and then they will ship it in August. So in August, they'll ship you the Blu-ray, and every order gets not only the Blu-ray but the none dead poster. So, so when I get when I get my copy of None Dead next time I see you, I can take it to you, and you guys will all sign it, right? <laughs> right. Uh, any convention uh, appearances coming up? Well, yeah, I just performed this last weekend, so I'm I'm all good with my convention obligations because I just did it at Bride of FrankenCon. So, I mean, the next convention that I know for a fact will be the 2024 edition of Screen Queen Chalkathon in Manchester because we did the second uh, installment uh, last February. Me and Elaine Huntington put that on together, and uh, we had a lot of great guests. And uh, yeah, we're planning to do it again in 2024. See, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out there. Um, I am going to be set up at Haunted Scream Expo in September. I think it's 17th and 18th. Not 100. I have to double check that. Um, but I have a lot of table space that I don't use. <laughs> so if anybody wants to come up there and hang out with me at the table, you are more than welcome to come out and have a free table uh, and, and uh, all that funness. And that's what I did last year. Um, so I want to say thank you, gentlemen. Um, I cannot wait to see none dead. I cannot wait to see uh, <laughs> Amityville aliens and see where that goes. Um and uh, all your other projects. Um, you're on Tubi and on Prime. We have movies on Tubi and Prime. And this is the one I've been needing to ask everybody. Uh, I've been told that Tubi is the place for independent movies. Do you That's agree? Right. Yes. Donald? Yeah. Well, I, they have two movies of mine on Tubi that I know for sure. They got Shark Exorcist that I directed. And they've got Chicken's Blood that I act in. So you can see me represented with those two movies. I know for a fact on Tubi. 
Okay. Um, uh, any other movies that you got available to watch? Uh, well, a new movie, uh, Debbie Does Demons, just came out. And, uh, yeah. So, I, I've got um, lots of things on Tubi, and so um, the best thing to do is just search my name. Um, you know, Curtis Everett, and uh, Everett is spelled with ITT on the end instead of ETT, like most people spell it. But um, the only film that we don't have association with on Tubi is called something like Mama Spirit or something. I don't know why when you search my name and spell it the way that I spell it. I don't know why that film pops up, but it does. But there's about 13 or 14 films on Tubi that uh, have my name on them. So that's pretty cool. Nice, nice. So we'll, um, I will put, um, you got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Curtis? Facebook, yeah, I got Facebook, yeah. Okay. Um, I'll put that that at the end of the, of the episode. This episode will not drop this Monday, but the following Monday. So not the 19th, uh, the 26th, 26th. This will drop on the 26th. Okay, cool. And and I'll put all your links at the end. If that's cool with you. Uh, I always like to ask because I've had some people like, I'll I'll let you put up my Facebook, my Instagram, but not my Twitter. Like, okay, I'll put everything else up. So, (laughs) All right, gentlemen, it's been a blast talking to you guys. Uh, Don, as always, um, like I said, I missed. I really wanted to meet up with you last weekend, but I was double booked, and I am sorry. Uh, yeah, we have the world premiere of Debbie Does Demons at the convention. I, but I, if you missed that world premiere, we're showing it again at an even bigger theater. We're showing it in August at the Lumiere Music Hall Cinema in Los Angeles on Wilshire Boulevard. So it's one of the most prestigious cinemas in all of L.A., and it's going to be showing a a Donald Farmer double feature in August. Uh, Debbie Does Demons on a double bill with Hooker with a Hacksaw. Sweet. All right. Well, gentlemen, it's been great. I have to get some stuff done here before the end of the night, and then I get to edit my other shows. So (laughs) you guys take care. Uh, like I said, it's been fun. And uh, whenever you guys got anything new coming out, let me know. We'll get you back on the show and talk about that too. Sounds All good. Right. Thanks for inviting okay. me. Take Thanks care. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome, man. Have a good one. See you. Bye. Bye. Bye.